Okay, it's a, I think it's about time we got going since we've been talking for like a half an hour before we even turn the mics on. My guest today is Lisa Miller. She's president and co-founder of 3 Media Web. And before that, founder of Ladybugs, another digital agency. She's also the founder of the Metro West Women's Network and Cowork Hudson. So uh, you've been busy over the last few years. And I want to talk about sort of what went on behind the scenes and how that all came to be. Awesome. So let's, can we just start with your current business, 3 Media Web, and what is it? What do you do? And, um, you know, just give us the lay of the land. So 3 Media Web is basically um, a web design and development uh, and support agency for midsize and enterprise level companies. We specialize in WordPress as our platform and, you know, we kind of towed ourselves as being the best or being the specialist at WordPress, like in this region. And on top of that, we offer, you know, digital growth to those clients that we service. So we are expanding into that whole digital growth area, which for B2B and uh, enterprise companies is a lot different than, you know, the B2C marketing that you see a lot of these other agencies doing. Um, so it's it's definitely a really interesting business. We, um, we chose that focus and, you know, that's what we're going with and it's going really awesome. And when you say we, tell me like how many people are at the company, how many, what type of positions do you keep on staff? What, what's just... What, I, I mean, I've been there, but for mm -hmm. everybody else, what, tell us a little bit about the business. So we like to call ourselves a mid-size agency. Um, we are 20 people um, on staff. We have everything from um, project management is definitely one of the main focuses of our company because we feel like if you have really great project managers, it doesn't really matter like how you um, source your talent, whether they're full-time employees, whether they're contractors. We do tend to use mostly local people for everything that we do. Um, we have on staff, you know, a digital strategist, a digital project manager, some developers, uh, creative director, designer. So we pretty much have the whole gamut mm -hmm. of everything that you would need to run a digital agency. So uh, about, you know, 12 of us are actually in the Hudson area and are regularly staffed in the office. A few of our other people are, you know, Western Mass. We have a couple people in North Carolina, like somebody out in Nebraska. So some of our employees were originally here and they moved. So we like to be flexible like that and we don't require, you know, our employees to actually have to be in the office every day. Well, plus that lets you have your tentacles go further oh, out across yeah, the country. Yeah, you have to go where the, the best talent is. Right. So, um, so yeah, that's been, it's been a great model. I think it's hard to do with everybody. I think you definitely need like a, a core team, um, for what we do, but I think in general, we can definitely source from around the country pretty yeah. easily. Yeah. Well, I think times have changed and it's become a lot more efficient to do that, but it mm -hmm. is good to have the core where you can sit and brainstorm mm -hmm. and work through issues and target things in a room mm -hmm. together, which is huge too. So, and you have a partner in this one, right? So I actually have two partners. Two. <laughs> um, so um, my main partner is Mark Avila. He was actually the founder of 3MediaWeb. And um, we've been together for about four years. And this year we brought in a third partner um, to help with, um, she's been helping with operations over the last three years. So we felt like she would, you know, make a good partner and help us continue to scale the operations and, you know, have a little bit more investment in the company. So there's three of us now. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So there's a partnership path company. the agency. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. And how long did you guys, how long ago did you and Mark come together? Uh, so Mark and I actually met on Twitter like about six years ago. Um, so that's how we originally met. And, he reached out to me for some to refer me some work and I did a project that he referred me. I sent him like a referral check, like after I got it and I didn't really know him, but I'm just kind of like, 
I'm kind of about that. Like if somebody does something nice for you, you, you however you want to thank them, it's up to you. But Me too. he really, really appreciated that. And so after that, you know, he's like, we should get together for lunch. And so we got together and, you know, we really, really liked each other personally and business wise, we decided to, you know, work on projects together. And so we did that for like about a year. We worked on some really big projects actually in Ladybugs, my old agency. I was more of a digital marketing agency. I did websites too, but some of my clients were getting bigger and they required like bigger solutions. Like I had one client that was a biotech. They had like three or four websites. They wanted to e-commerce and they wanted to rebrand it. And I just didn't really have the infrastructure to do that. So I hired him to do that. And that was kind of like the beginning of where we are now. We just really worked well together on that. And about a year later, we merged our companies. So that's kind of cool. You found out you worked well together by Mm -hmm. working together before you, before you made the the leap. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. (laughs) And he's one of the people that's now uh, around the country, right? Exactly. He's out in Grand Rapids. And what's that done? What's that been like to adjust for that? So, um, well, you know, going back into the story, there's a little bit to it, but, um, basically I got out of operations about a year and a half ago. So either way, like for me, it doesn't really affect anything. Um, cause I'm not involved in operations like at all. I only am involved in operations if they need my expertise on something. But for the most part, we have this model of like, you guys run the business. I'll continue like down our strategic growth path and mm-hmm. make sure that we're going to be successful. Cause when you're running the company, it's too hard to think on that level. So when he left for me, it wasn't really a huge deal. Cause we weren't really doing a lot of work together, even right. though we're partners. Um, we definitely like have our like monthly meetings and stuff like that, but I try to stay out of his way basically. And he tries to stay out of my way, <laughs> which is a good partnership. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the visionary integrator relationship that we have. And, and so for me, I think for the team, I think they miss him a little bit. We call him the godfather. So he's kind of like the godfather of everybody, you know? So we miss him, you know, personally, but other than that, the business has been running really smoothly. I can't believe that it did um, because he was so involved with everything, Um, but he's done a really great job. I actually really commend him for that because if I moved away, I'd be like, whatever. (laughs) I'd be like, you know, there's, there's less accountability when you're, you know, but. um, but He comes back too though, right? I mean, I saw him. I think two times ago I was over. Visiting. Yeah. So he's actually here right now, but oh, no kidding. he comes about once a month for a week and I've been out there once. I'm heading out there again in February. Um, so that'll be fun. Once a month's really not that bad. I mean, that's, that's not sparse at all to have a face to face when you can always have phone and Skype and everything else. That's really not so bad. Yeah. And like, honestly, I love seeing him, but I still feel, I feel like he doesn't even really need to do that. So, you know, because we have the business so organized and running well that, you know, and it's nice because I think he can sleep at night knowing that. And that's, he went on vacation for a weekend. Like when he was gone, we closed a bunch of deals and he comes back and he's like, you closed all these deals without me? (laughs) We're like, yep. (laughs) Don't leave me out of this. (laughs) Before we turn the mics on, you were talking about um, people at the company and Uh what's what's important to you about creating the environment. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me, I want to know more about, that's when I find one of the inter- most interesting things about people that manage people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't want to talk about it, we go back, just revisit how what's important to you when you're hiring people and creating the environment at 3 Media Web. Because I think it t- ties into exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. where things are getting done and people are being responsible, mm-hmm. whether or not there's a watchdog or the mm-hmm. godfather figure. Mm-hmm. Work is getting done. People have autonomy, and but there's still the whole ship is moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that's probably in the way that you treat people and mm-hmm. the way that you foster that environment. 
Yeah, well, we um, we follow a lot of the Gino Wickman principles. Um, if you're familiar with those books, like Traction, uh, Rocket Fuel. Uh, so we're always looking for A players, basically. And um, a lot of the people we hire end up being people we know or people that know someone we know. I think you said the same thing about this yourself. You like hire your friends. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, for example, if somebody coming in today, it's somebody that I met a while ago that I thought could have potential someday to work for three media web, you know, fostered a relationship and, you know, we'll bring that person in and talk to them. And, you know, so you kind of get to know them a little bit personally. Yeah. I feel like the people that we've hired, like that came to us, like without really anybody knowing were you know, a few of them were not successful. And so um, it's definitely beneficial to, have a little bit of a relationship with the people or a referral from, we have another guy that's been working for our company. He brought on another woman that he used to work with. So that was a really great fit. And mm-hmm. um, we had someone from another agency come in as a project manager and she brought somebody from her agency. So that seems to be how it goes. And one of the typical um, reasons people come to us is because they are not happy in their job. And mm. um, we just got, you know, we just have the greatest talent. And I just feel like, how come they didn't treat these people better? These people are amazing. Like, so I just, I don't understand that whole philosophy. Well, that's what I was getting at with you guys is it's you, it's still professional, but there's a personal relationship. You care about their lives. You care about them as people. It's not, they're not a cog in the wheel. Right. And I think, I I think, I think that's some of the difference. That's what I was trying to scratch (laughs) at is that I think there's another, um, another, friendly agency of, of ours that that, uh, the CEO is also on the podcast and they're very much the same way. They're, they're similar to you guys. They're, they have a larger staff. They have a different model than me. They're more like you. And they're, I mean, they're constantly putting effort into like, they're probably their biggest focus is making the place a better place to work Mm -hmm. and then sales or then Mm -hmm. servicing clients and then sales. Mm -hmm. But it, it amazes me because they have a, they have, it's not just that they're trying to do the right thing. They're, actively engaged and passionate in making those people happier mm-hmm. people, making it a better place to work, which I think is, mm-hmm. I think is a, it's a no lose situation. No culture is the driver to everything. And I think a lot of companies are starting to realize that. I mean, I think you're lucky if you're a startup, like if you look at Wistia, I don't know if you follow them. I mean, that looks like the most fun place ever to work. It does. And I, good tools I'm too. wearing their shirt right now. Um, so, I mean, and they're, you know, they're a younger generation too. Like at our company, I feel like we don't have as, we have kind of a mixed range of people in terms of age. Our employees tend to be a little bit more mature. We we don't really have a ton of like 20 year olds and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like Wistia, they're all so young. So the fact that they've built a culture on that generation, because that's what that generation is really looking for. um, And to them, like that's all they really know. Like so many companies now are like that, that you go there, they have the ping pong table, they have the work lunches, they have yoga, like whatever. And, you know, the older, more established companies are struggling to just keep people. Right. Because they have chain of command and paperwork. And I think there's probably a mix between the two, though, that um, create happiness, too, because ping pong tables and beer on tap and all of that without an active management fostering a community doesn't create the community or the culture that you're talking about. So I've seen a lot of startups, too, that get all the stuff, mm-hmm. but then they fold because people are always bouncing and coming in and out. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's not a, it's not a place to be that people don't find 
pride in their work because they're not part of a thing. They're not yeah. part of a team. They're just a cog in a wheel with yeah. fancy stuff around versus the ones who do treat it that way. You've, I've even seen a lot of successful companies with great culture that don't have a lot of the frills. Maybe they don't, or maybe they haven't gotten there yet. You yeah. know, and upgraded the office, but what they do have is very dedicated people that are happy to be at work and happy to move the company forward. I think there's a big difference in leadership with are people focused on their job or are people focused on what the company is doing and what they have to do to help mm -hmm. the company do what it's doing? And those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. It seem obvious, but I don't think they're obvious to everybody. And I think that's a hard thing to continue to foster because people do get stuck in their jobs. So always making them feel like they're part of the end success of the company. I mean, I talk about our team a lot. I think in the beginning, I thought like a lot of it was us, the business partners and like that we were driving the business. And cause I never really thought about having a big team before. And mm. the team that was brought to me wasn't my team. So uh, originally, so right. for me, um, it took me, you know, I, I'm an offender. Like I was like, okay, you know, we have this team, you know, but you know, I was really focusing on us as owners and how we were going to grow the business. But my business partner is like really drilled into me. Like we wouldn't be here if we didn't have these amazing people. I mean, not that it was hard, but I just wasn't in that mindset in right. the beginning. And the more I embraced that and the more that I tried to foster that, I think that has definitely really helped like, and not just me, but my business partners too. And, you know, that's what has made us a great company. And we were one of those companies where we didn't have any perks. Like we, we were small, we were merging, we didn't have health insurance, you know, we didn't, weren't able to give bonuses. We didn't even know if we were going to be in business the next year. Right. So, um, the fact that we got there to hear that, you know, we had these people, we did always pay well. That is definitely something we always valued is to pay people what they're worth. Um, but I just think the flexibility we gave people was what really you know, drove people to want to stay with us because, you know, we have some single moms, they could go to football games, come back at night, get their work done. Our whole philosophy is if you get your work done and our clients are happy, like there's no questions asked. Yeah. If we start seeing, you know, obviously unhappy clients, then we have to go and, and look at that. But I think everybody in our company is responsible for their work and we don't really have, you know, a lot of problems around that. So Fle flexibility is so key and it's, uh, Life isn't the way that life used to be. It's just simply not. Whether mm -hmm. you're a single mom or a single dad or mm -hmm. not, it's still not the same. Because mm -hmm. if you go back to when the nine to five was invented, it was primarily built around factory culture and one parent or one person in the family working, the other one home. There was a, mm -hmm. there was a tremendous amount more time that allotted freedom. Now that time is gone where the average household, if there's two people in it, they both work, mm -hmm. right? So then the kids need after school activities. They need, there's, there, there simply isn't the amount of time there used to be in a day for exactly. a typical American. It's just, there isn't. But yet, if you were to survey the average company, they still run like it's mm -hmm. 1950. And, mm -hmm. it, and that's why people are so burnt out and people are so frustrated and so unhappy. And people are unhappy. A lot mm -hmm. of people are unhappy. You know, they're tied to their job. They're mm -hmm. tied to a paycheck. They wish they had it better. They wish they had more flexibility. And I think to your point, when you offer that flexibility, you're in, you're you're not just giving them a job that they can love, but you're giving them back their life. Mm -hmm. I, I I love that. It, it, but it's true mm -hmm. because when you can go to that football mm -hmm. game and see your son or daughter play, when you, when you can be a part of those moments mm -hmm. and then come back and finish up work, it changes everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, people are going to be sick of me saying it cause I'm always saying it, but 
the, the w- part of the way I view my compensation for owning my business is time. Mm-hmm. I view, I value it very much and I pay myself partly in time mm-hmm. in that I am at all the games. I am mm-hmm. at all the events, practices, Cub Scout meetings, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I'm there. And when I go home at five o'clock in the afternoon, I put my phone away until the kids are in bed away, like mm-hmm. not, not visible, not in my pocket, but gone. And I'll get back to it because I can, and I can work at nine o'clock. I can, I can do what I need to do when I need to do it, mm-hmm. but I have the flexibility to be the family man that I want to mm-hmm. be. It, it's worth more than any paycheck that somebody mm-hmm. could offer me. It's, you know, and it's, it's, I think that getting that life back is, in, it's hard to put into words just mm-hmm. what it means. And yeah, I think you see and you reap the rewards of just providing a, a a culture that fosters that. So you have people that are loyal and people that want to yeah. work and people will get it done. The key is finding the people who will get it done. Right. Right. Cause there's right. always going to be some that game the system in, in yeah. any environment. And you just got to learn how to either filter those people out or weed them out. Once mm-hmm. you, once you see that they're trying to game the system and take advantage, but that's not all that hard to spot. You know, you can, when they're not getting it done, they're not getting it done. Right. And I mean, it's also about like how excited they get about the work. Like for me, like people are like, if you made a million bucks and sold your agency and you could retire, like, what would you do? Like, I would just start another company. Like I would not do nothing because there's just people that need to use their talents and their brain. And my talent is not athletic or it's not, you know, whatever it's, it's creative. And so if I wasn't using that side of my brain and so when people come in and we interview them and we tell them like, okay, you're going to be like, let's say a social media manager. And they're like, Oh, I love Twitter. And you know, and you see them active on there, like it's not hard to tell when somebody loves what they're doing, But then there's the other people that are like, you know, they're like, well, I'm an expert at this. And you go and you look at their stuff online. You're like, hmm, like you're not even on Twitter. (laughs) How are we going to manage it for our clients? Like, you know, so, so I think, yeah, you're right. It's pretty easy to spot. People get excited. If you get excited about your work, that means you love it. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that you want to have, but you don't want the people that are just all they care about is work. Well, actually that doesn't matter either. If they just want to care about work and that's what fulfills them, then they're welcome to work for us. Yeah. Too. To each their own. But I do, <laughs> I do prefer a well-rounded person, someone that has interests because I think they're going to keep themselves energized mm-hmm. more than, more than burnout, which is something you worry that's about true. too. You know what I've noticed though, over the years with finding people like you mentioned as a person who's going to manage social media, not on Twitter, you're obviously not into what you do. The hardest one to gauge whether they like what they do is developers. Because they, mm-hmm. some of them, some, some <laughs> of them true. know, but some of them and some of the best ones, some of the ones that, you know, work for me to this day that, uh, that I love, they're fantastic. There's no emotion in it. It's, it's, it's almost like, um, like they get a directive and they execute that directive and, and th- that, um, you know, makes them happy and it's what they like to yeah. do, but you can't outwardly, you, you're just like, show me something. <laughs> smile like yeah, get excited true but lead developers tend to be a little bit get a little more excited about it i find like we have this awesome lead developer and we'll be like okay we have this project it sounds like it could be really hard and i mean he gets excited and fired us it was like no we can do this with the php and the integration and like i can't even speak the language sorry but he gets super excited about these development projects and he's really like a development visionary like i you wouldn't think of a like kind of visionary as a developer but he can kind of in his mind, think about how the code's going to work, like how it would work, 
how the processes would work mm-hmm. and that that actually excites him so and then back into the solution from there kind of yeah and the then you know picture. the people under him well maybe that you know they are not as excited about development but some people really enjoy the math like the no i think they're excited and, they just don't yeah. show it i think it's just hard it's hard to see it you can't peel it back i think the That's inside true. their head they're, they're having a ball typing yeah. away <laughs> I, I always have to like tap them when I'm walking by them. There's this one guy, John, I was like, tap him. I'm like, hi. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so when you first came into three media web, you, you mentioned that the whole core team and all of that was kind of new and foreign to you. What mm-hmm. was it like adapting to that? Well, originally the team was like almost hundred percent remote for that, for that business. So I'm the one who, and then my team was local. So I'm the one who actually said like, let's get an office. Let's form a real, like a real physical business here. And, you know, we'll merge the, the remote people and the local people. And so that was definitely for me really, really new. I mean, I had worked with a few local people cause I had one developer that was in India and I've like known him even to now like 10 or 15 years. So we kind of figured out a remote way to work, but I also wasn't familiar with like the processes and the management side of three media web. So I didn't really know how Mark ran his company until I actually came in and, you know, saw that. So you kind of made the leap before you knew everything about it. Yeah. Because he managed, like if I worked with him on a project, I just brought him in as a value added partner. Mm -hmm. I wasn't involved. So I'd be like, this is my partner, three media web. They're going to do the website, you know? So I didn't really question anything they did. So uh, as long as they were successful, I was happy with them. So you know, when we got in and, and started working together, it was, you know, it, again, it didn't really affect me that much because I didn't really work on that side of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my, most of my interaction with the staff was the local people who were doing like the social media. And we had like a smaller website build team where we did more like theme-based websites too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the larger team is doing like all custom, custom design, custom development, but we also had a part of the team that was doing like more templated based stuff. So I worked more with them because um, I'm more of like a front end designer and, you know, UI designer. So, you know, I never really crossed over, but like now, you know, we kind of reformed the business and we don't do that small stuff anymore. So now I'm definitely more involved with the team, but again, I'm not managing them or anything like that. My job with the team is to, you know, really help build culture and continue that and continue to inspire them, inspire them about the company um, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed. That's why I was curious. I wouldn't have guessed that it was too foreign to you because of you seem uh, the, uh, from what I know of you and the times that we've met and hung out, I, you're, you're really passionate about working with the people and you're also really good with people. Like you, you have an authentic air to you. You would actually enjoy engaging in a conversation. It seems like, seems like it would be a natural fit for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, like managing their work, is definitely not my strength, you know, because it was, it was not my original role to ever manage those people. I was good at managing like my creative people, but, um, you know, that's worked out really well too, because I kind of like, I'm never the bad guy. I'm always like the fun guy. <laughs> so it's like, I kind of like that role, you know, and if, and if bad work needs to be done or, you know, any kind of, uh, employee problems we have, I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. I make a real strong effort when hiring to hire people. I don't have to manage. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, it's not that easy to do, but it is a weakness. I, mm-hmm. especially if it's somebody that requires a micromanaging, oh, it's yeah. just wrong place. You can't have that. I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah, I'll, micro- I'll be too frustrated with you and you can't, oh, you can't stay. Yeah. I mean, I think at, 
this level, like working in an agency, you can't micromanage people unless it's an intern or you're training someone. At some point, people shouldn't have to be managed, really. Right, right. You can, you should know your job and you yeah, should be able to yeah. do it and, and think forward. So backing up before 3 Media Web, you mentioned Ladybugs, which mm-hmm. led to 3 Media Web. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about Ladybugs and how mm-hmm. that came to be. But why don't we just go back to pre-Ladybugs? What was your background? <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, well, I'm Canadian. <laughs> the re- and the reason I'm asking is I want to know if your background was, you know, always gearing you towards doing this, uh-huh. where well, there's no wrong answer, because there's people that just, like Rhonda, the one she did the podcast yep. a mm-hmm. while back from the coffee shop, didn't know anything about coffee when she opened it. Oh, that's funny. She did it to fight human trafficking and take a part yeah, in fair trade. Yeah, I, I listened to her podcast. It was, was she, wasn't she great? Um, but so. it blew my mind to hear that. So th- I'm not, I'm not, there's no setup to the question. I'm not asking for the right answer. You don't have to tell it a magical tale. I'm just curious, generally curious about business owners and how they end up. Cause like I said, I started as a record label, end up as a, a marketing house. Mm-hmm. Right. So prior to ladybugs, what was Lisa doing? So like I said, I'm from Canada and I like just in high school and stuff, I was just always like social. So Where in my, Canada? I'm from Prince Edward Island. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. So my parents were just always like, you're so creative. You, you know, you should do something creative. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll go to art school. And they're like, no, you can't do that. That's like not real school. So they're like, you know, you're such a good writer. Why don't you do writing? So I'm like, okay. So I applied to some journalism schools and I applied to this public relations school. And I ended up actually choosing the public relations school because it was it was more not just journalism. There was like more marketing kind of integrated with it. And I was like, oh, this looks like a really fun program. So I got there and I realized like, I'm actually not that great of a writer. I'm not that great of a, like, I'm just like not really good at anything that forces me to do things a certain way. Like I'm always going to do things like not other people's way. (laughs) Um, But I did get through, I did get through school. I graduated, um, but I got really interested in business and I ended up doing an extra year of extra business courses and entrepreneurship. And I just really loved it. And all through college, I freelanced, I freelanced for a paper. I had like my own little business. And so, yeah, so that, so I think I always knew that I was going to own an agency because I, in my program at school, that's what a lot of people did. They did start their own agencies later and they were like these companies you aspired to. It's like, oh, this person owns this PR firm in Toronto and they're, so I think I always had that in the back of my mind. Um, But my first job from college, I went up to Toronto and I worked for the Ontario Medical Association, like in their communications department. And I was always like kind of gifted anyways, like graphically. So I'm creative. So they're like, well, you know, you can design our newsletters and, and our annual report and, And so I did that for a little while. And then they're like, "Um, we're going to start a website. Do you want to just do the website and manage it? And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So that was like really early on. That was like 19, I graduated in like 93. So those are fun opportunities. I remember stuff like that back then because the client didn't know anything about websites either. I mean, websites were a kind of new thing. Yeah, I knew nothing about it, but they thought because I was young, you know, because I was like then, I was like the young kids now that know like TikTok. Mm -hmm. So they just put me in that role and that was definitely what just completely like solidified my career. So I knew I loved the web. I knew I, and and, you know, because I had that PR background, I got to like write about the web Mm -hmm. and I got to write for magazines. And and then when I came to the US, I had met my husband and, and- I wanted to, he wasn't my husband at the time, he was my boyfriend, but I wanted to move here so I could be near him. So I got a job here and I worked for an agency. So I kind of feel like I've come full circle because I worked in that agency, although as a grunt and I did everything that agency got bought and 
like blah, 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 back in the dot-com days, went to CBS Interactive, worked there for a couple of years. And then that's when I started Ladybugs because I started having kids and I just couldn't do the whole corporate corporate thing. It's like commuting like two hours into Boston every day, having to be there for every single meeting, like not being able to work from home. I'm like, you're an interactive company and this is like how you treat people. No, thanks. <laughs> so that's, that's when I started Ladybugs. And then, so you decide to create your own answer to the problem and make yep. Ladybugs. And so I want to hear about Ladybugs, but I'm most interested in how, how you got Ladybugs going. Mm-hmm. Like what was your, the driver behind it, aside from just not liking the commute and the way they mm-hmm. treated people. But like, so you got that, that inspiration to not treat people that way and get rid of the commute. But mm-hmm. what else went into creating that business? And you also mentioned or glanced over, but they're big things. In that same period of time, you got married and started having kids and mm-hmm. building your family too, mm-hmm. right? Which is no small task and mm-hmm. it's a lot of work. Um, I, that's in fact, one of the things I forgot to mention in the beginning with your jobs is you're a mom. Mm-hmm. That's that's another full-time gig, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about how Ladybugs forms and what else is going on at that time because that, that adds complexity, right? Yeah, well, when I was at that first digital agency, it was in Portland, Maine. Um, I I basically like learned everything like from SEO to, you know, becoming a really good web designer. I knew a lot about like connectivity and I just basically learned everything in that agency because we were so small. Like I was an expert at everything by the time I left there. And I mean, this was like really my only my second job. You know, I the first job I had, I only had for like two years. So um, when I was at that agency, I formed like a lot of really great relationships And because we didn't do like a lot of, you know, smaller work, we would get, you know, leads and stuff for sites people would want done. So like our bosses were like, well, if you guys want to do freelance work, go for it or whatever, Mm -hmm. you can have this client. Well, that's cool. They would let you too. Yeah. So me and this other woman took on a couple projects and because it was us two women, we decided to call it Ladybugs. (laughs) Um, And she was our creative director and she was like- It's a catchy name. Yeah. So she was like wicked, wicked talented. So she ended up actually going to ATG, which was like a really big web web design firm, like back in the dot-com days. So she couldn't commit to doing anything with me anymore. Um, so I, when that agency got bought, some of the clients actually um, came with me. Like they, they wanted to continue to work with me and they didn't go with the new company and they were small enough that the company didn't really care they were kind of like weeding them out anyways. So I kind of already had a, I was working at CBS and I already had like a, a book of clients that I'd already been working with through Ladybugs. So it was kind of an easy transition to leave. Um, you know, obviously I wasn't going to make as much money, but I quickly was able to recoup that, you know, um, and go on and have like my family and like live my life and kind of do what I want for like the next 10 years, you know. So you started it before having the family? I, yeah, I definitely started it in Portland, like before I had my kids. Yeah. It's an awesome city, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) I followed a lot of bands back then. (laughs) I like, I like gritties. I I try to go there every time I swing through there. Yeah. (laughs) So, so how, then how long did you have the business going, uh, before you started having kids, before you started having a family? Um, well, full time, I had it probably maybe for a year, like, and what did it look like at that time? Was it, so it was you and you were doing a lot of the actual work, right? You were well, designing websites. I was, like, was kind of like double dipping cause I had my full-time job and then I had my freelance clients. So I was like financially kind of killing it. So mm-hmm. I was like really loving that part of it. Um, but, um, but then when I left, I had probably about, I probably had, I had really good clients. Like I had 
um, I had a, a division of Genzyme with one of my clients. Nice. Um, and, and they actually stayed a client for like maybe like 10 or 12 years. Um, I had a hotel chain uh, in Maine that was a client forever. I can't even really remember who some of those original clients were. But I, I tended to specialize in hospitality and tourism. So a lot of the Ladybugs clients were hospitality and tourism clients. So that was sort of my specialty. So that was that was fun because it was like really you can be really creative. Wedding venues were a big thing for me. Um, I grew a lot of wedding businesses. So then, like when I did when I really started doing ladybugs like full full time, yeah. it was probably only about six or seven years ago. So you know, over those years of having kids, because I had four and my husband traveled, I could really only handle so much work, and mm -hmm. I just wasn't. I didn't want to build a team. And even when, you know, Mark and I partnered up, the reason I didn't take on those big web projects was because I didn't want to have a team. Mm -hmm. So I just knew I wasn't going to be a good person to manage a team. Yeah, so well, you just accept those things and find a better solution. Well, it's not just about not being good at managing a team. You were, mm -hmm. The business reflected your life, right? Mm -hmm. It gave, it gave like, we were talking about, I think it was before we started. Uh, anyway, talking about freedom. Mm -hmm. and And so that, the way that you ran Ladybugs seems mm -hmm. like it gave you the freedom to be a mom to four mm -hmm. with a traveling husband and get things done. Yeah. I was definitely like one of those internet entrepreneurs that you see now, like where you see them on the beach working. Like mm -hmm. that was me. Like I spent my whole summers on Prince Edward Island with my kids on my computer, on my front deck, overlooking, you know, the ocean. Um, I would go to Vegas. My sister-in-law lived in Vegas. So I'd go out there for like a month or whatever, every year. So I definitely traveled a lot and did that kind of stuff with my first, when I had two kids. But then when I started like, you know, having more children, it, that was nothing to do with the business. It's just not fun getting on a plane with four no, children. No, no, the world, the world <laughs> is much more difficult for that large of a party. But, you know, I, and then, you know, I had a big client, after I had my four, I had a big client that was at like a golf resort. So I kind of took them on as a big client. And that was really great too, because, you know, my kids could come over and we could have dinner there and we could hang out and they played golf. And so, you know, even the clients I took on that related to my family too. So, you know, just taking that client on and knowing that I could bring my kids there mm -hmm. and, and they loved me. So they treated me like so well. And, you know, so it was really great. And it was a great time in my life that I look back and I'm like, it was so much fun when I worked at this place, my kids played golf and you know all that kind of stuff so what what do you think led to make the change was it just the right time in life to get back into having a team so it sounds like ladybug suited you really well you're no brick or mortar you're able to be wherever you want and get your work done yeah so ladybugs was doing really well and i was doing really well like with you know profitability and like financially but where i was struggling was with like i kind of got to the point where I, w I had to make a decision. Was I going to keep it like more like this freelance type business? Like, mm -hmm. and even though, like I said, the money was great. Um, or am I, would I rather have a partner and expand the business and be a real company? And like going back to when I was young, my dad was an entrepreneur and I just, I always had big dreams. Like I want to own a company someday. Like I just always had that in my brain. I want to be a company owner. Like I want to be someone. And I know that doesn't define who you are, but my whole life, I think I've been setting myself up for this. Mm. And so, um, it was just the right time. My business was just doing so well. And when I met Mark, it just seemed like a natural, you know, um, next step. I also missed having somebody to, you know, to kind of enjoy the ride with. And yeah. my husband wasn't really interested in getting involved in my business. So, um, it just seemed like a perfect fit. And, you know, a lot of other stuff transpired around that time, which, 
wasn't the greatest. I got divorced and some different stuff like that, but it all worked out really, really well. I feel like the universe was like just waiting for me to get to this place and be in a good place in my life where I could really use my gift to do whatever it is I wanted to do. It's funny how that happens. Huh? Things yeah. start to come into line and some, well, thi- some <laughs> things go away while other things are newly born. Everything's about timing. So, you know, it was always my dream to have a big family. Like I had too many dreams. That's my problem. Like if I just had one dream, like that would have been so easy, but I wanted it all. I wanted to have lots of kids. I wanted to have a business. So I've gotten everything I've wanted, just not in my time. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've learned now that I don't put a time on anything. Like everything's due in its own time. And I think living your life that way that, you know, things will unfold how they're supposed to unfold is a really great way to live. And that's just something I've learned in the last couple of years, because I've always lived my life with like an end goal. Like I'm going to do this by this and I'm going to, you know, and now I feel like I'm going to enjoy every day. I'm going to enjoy the journey. I'm going to enjoy the people in my life. And my big thing is I love people. Like if I'm not around people, I'm not having fun. Yeah. I am not an introvert at all. I can be by myself for like two hours to write a story <laughs> or like, you know, go to meditation, but I gain my energy from people. So that's the other great thing about what I love. My job is wouldn't, wouldn't life be great if you could realize all those things <laughs> at like 15 years old. <laughs> Cause I, I feel like I didn't have any, uh, any of those similar realizations until I was like mid thirties or 40 when I started actually living what I think is a better way, you know, and which I'm sure when I'm 50, I'll be looking back saying, well, I was a fool at 42. But mm-hmm. when I, when I look back on my twenties and thirties, it was just primarily misspent energy. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if you could know, I think your mother knew when she told you, but she, you didn't listen to her. You don't like listen my- to anybody. You can't. <laughs> exactly. You can't. If only you could. If only you could. And I, I tell my kids, but if, if only you could take that information and actually process it I and know, use it. But you have to live it. You do. Because it has to be, you have to feel it, understand it by feeling it and living it and, you know, doing all those things. And like, sometimes I look back and I'm like, I had known that four kids would have been so much work, you know, maybe I, I would can't even imagine two <laughs> like kids people, is a lot of work. People be like, you want to have four kids? I'm like, yeah, you know. But I never really thought about when I wanted things, like the consequences of what that would mean for me. (laughs) I don't regret having four kids at all. Um, No, but it is a lot of work. But it is a lot of work, yeah. (laughs) Even we have two, and two is a lot of work. (laughs) I I think one's probably a lot of work. (laughs) The kids are, they're fun, but they're, man, do they consume time. I know. And like Kobe Bryant, they made a video after he died on Goalpost. I don't know if you saw it, but um, it was all about, um, like how hard he worked, but how hard he worked also at home. Like mm-hmm. He wouldn't miss his daughter's birthday. And he said he would be tired. And like, he's going back to being like a, a mother and a young mother where I like, you know, four kids under the age of five. It's like, you get to those days where you're just like, it's supposed to be a joy. Like this is supposed to be a joy. And you're, it's not a joy. Like, you're just like, how am I going to get through this day? It's a struggle. Oh but, but like struggle, he just I said, think. you just keep going, you just do it and you just keep going, you know? And I think that's what I did. Like, you know, on those days, plus, you know, I worked and my husband wasn't around. So, um, you know, I just had to always get through those days and my kids got me through those days. So that's great. You know, you got to read to their little faces and mm-hmm. Thomas the train and, you know, watch Barbie movies and, you know, it's all good. And they're all pretty close in age. You said they were all under five. Yeah, I think like my kids are like um, 
when they were little, like obviously they were really all young, but now they are 20, 18, 13, and 12. They all get along well enough. Yeah. They're all great. They're just, they're all great kids. Awesome. Yeah. Obviously, you know, they've had their own challenges throughout their lives, but again, like they're, I just feel like they're great kids and they're well-adjusted because of that. Like you think you have like things happen to you and, and it stinks and like whatever, but they, that makes them better people. Yeah. It's what you you do with what happens to you that makes who you are, not what happens to you. Yeah. Like if you look at some of the kids now and their parents protect them and shield them from whatever failing or getting in trouble or being last on the basketball team, those are the kids I think that don't have the coping skills to, and it's not their fault. Like, you know, when I was in college, I didn't call my mom, like I need money. I need this. Like I figured it out. Like, mm-hmm. because that's how I was raised. You know, I worked. It wasn't even in my head to call. Yeah, just- I know. It's just like, I was a grown up when I left and went to college, I was on my own, you know, and it was not a bad thing. It was a good thing. Yeah. Like, but now kids aren't on their own when they go to college. No, no. I was yeah. on my own. I don't know if I'd call myself a grown up, but I was independent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was financially independent. I was emotionally independent and I loved my parents. Like we got along great. We, you know, I would go visit them. You know, I just, my parents were great and they raised me really great. I, I'm not saying life was perfect, but they were Really, really great parents. I guess I'm lucky. Not everybody has that. No, I got lucky too. Mm-hmm. I have a great family and I'm thankful for it. Mm-hmm. And everybody I'm thankful they put up with along. me because I was a dick. I'm, I'm really, th- <laughs> <laughs> I was seriously, like, my teenage years, I was just oh, a nightmare. I know. We probably would have been friends back probably, then. Yeah. yeah. We probably would have painted some graffiti on the <laughs> Yep, I'm sure like we would have. <laughs> I'm sure we would have. I, I was an absolute, I was just an asshole. I was like, it was like I was purposely designed to be a jerk to my mom and dad. Even, it just, uh, I looked back and I'm like, why did you guys love me? But they, they always did. You know, they, know. Were, they were still always in my corner. They were always positive there. Yeah. I mean, they would get frustrated, but they were, they were always good parents. And I think they set the bar for the kind of parent that I wanted to be, mm-hmm. which I'm glad I had that example. You know, that's, it's that the, regardless of how off track I would go or what, what a jerk I was, they would always try to lead me back, but you know, lead you back without shackles they mm-hmm. try to lead you back by getting you to understand process mm-hmm. and making decisions and they were always there to support me mm-hmm. always you know there was always that home base which i thought was huge so i try to be that with my kids where we we try not to be helicopter parents mm-hmm. we let our kids skin their knees and you know have have all those experiences but we're there if they mm-hmm. need if they need to get picked up then mm-hmm. we're there to pick them up i yep. think i think that's part of what i want to be as a as a dad yeah and i think like i only appreciate that even now like you know, maybe when I was 20, I thought my parents were dicks, you know what I mean? But like, I don't know. I lost my dad when I was like, um, I don't even think I was 30 yet. So he never even knew two of my kids and Mm. my second kid was a baby. So, you know, I've also lost that. So that you, that puts a lot of things in perspective. I also lost my brother to, um, drug addiction, you know? And again, like I said, I had great, I lost my brother like three years ago to heroin addiction. That's t- that's a real tough. And so you put that in your family, that how tough that struggle was throughout your life of having, because uh, it all started like in his teenage years. But, you know, again, we still were a great family. Like we all get along. No, none of us fight. Like I know people that they're like, I don't talk to my sister. I'm like, 
How do you not talk to your sister? I don't understand that either. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I just don't understand that. I'm not one to judge either. So everybody has their reasons. Maybe they're toxic or like whatever. And that's well, there's not also your fault. A, a billion different ingredients that go right. into everyone's life being where it is at the moment. So I, I also try not to judge, but I don't get it. Yeah. I don't understand. I just feel so lucky. Yeah, I do too. So do you, your brother, did he get into heroin through pills and the the like the tragic story there yeah, we don't have to talk about it no, if you don't no, want to he but. did he did he um he he had adhd as a child my brother was a beautiful person him and i were like soulmates in our family like we were the creative ones and he is quite a bit older than me he was nine years older than me but he always like took me under his wing and he kind of reminds me of my oldest son with my youngest daughter but he got into marijuana when he was like probably in middle school and that just you know i know a lot of people are proponents of it and I'm not huge against it or anything either, but for people who are already predisposed to addiction, it definitely is a gateway drug. And so he just got addicted to it and, you know, that just led to cocaine. And then, you know, he, he ended up, um, and he was also addicted to alcohol. So later in his life, he was an alcoholic too. So he just like kind of went from drug to drug, you mm -hmm. know, it didn't really matter what the drug was. Um, but he, and he battled with that his whole life. And like, that's the saddest part is that he never really got to live like a normal life that we would know. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't, he wouldn't have even known what a normal life was for him because every day he battled addiction. He had a demon the whole time. His whole life. He had a beautiful wife. They had a beautiful house and he wanted that life, but you know, that didn't work out. He couldn't be there fully. Just, yeah. And I mean, he honestly, it's sad to say, and I hate saying this about him because he's gone, but he basically became like almost like a street person. He was living from shelter to shelter. Um, he got um, uh, hep hepatitis C, you know, so he had health issues. And, and, you know, when you have an addict in your life for that many years, there's only so much you can do. You right. can love him. And so I, I kind of lost contact with him because his addiction was so bad. And, you know, when I would be with him, like he would be jonesing and like throwing up and like, I just couldn't deal with it anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, plus I live really, really far away, but he knew I loved him. He would call me every few months. He never had a phone cause we never knew where he was living. It's just so sad. And it's, something that just happened to like a regular family, yeah, you know, and my next door neighbor, does. my next door neighbor was an RCMP officer. So like our next door neighbor was a cop, which made it even worse because, you know, we felt bad that we had this, you know, this sibling that, you know, I'm sure our neighbor felt bad too, that he couldn't help him, you know, but he just didn't never had a chance. It was just, it's a very tragic story. And I'm sure many parents who've lost children to heroin overdoses, and he wasn't even on heroin when he died. It's the typical story of he was clean from it. And somebody came in with a needle and like, let's get high. And you go back to the same dose that you did the last time, mm -hmm. which would, might've been lower than what he ever did, but his body just said, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it is a sad story. Like you said, you know, it's a, it's a tragic tale of a, a life that went wrong, but so is everybody in that mm -hmm. scenario. You know, every, every, every addict or, or homeless person or whatever you're coming across, every one of those was someone's little kid once, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's, that's what's so it's life is tricky and it's delicate. And yep. when you're prone to addiction, it's a, addiction is a powerful thing. It and, really is. And I think, the alcohol is a tricky one, right? Because it's, it's such a huge part of our culture. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a part of everyday life. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, a, I have nothing against alcohol, mm -hmm. you know, wine and beer are delicious. Mm -hmm. I, 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 nothing against it, but to me, it's far trickier than even marijuana, much trickier because alcohol, the, the, the addiction to alcohol is, 
ragingly prevalent mm-hmm. throughout throughout society. Exactly. It's almost to the point where it's kind of expected, at least to a small degree, you mm-hmm. know, that you're probably drinking more than you should be or more than more than so when you are prone to that addiction, it's that slope is mm-hmm. it's a double black diamond. You know, it's not it's not a it's not a slow ride usually, even though it can take years. I think you just looking at it, you know, when you when you get into that addiction ramp, it might take a long time before your life spirals, but you're you're hooked a mm-hmm. lot earlier on, and you're you're not driving anymore. It's it's, it's scary. I yeah. think it, I I think about it with my kids, and I mm-hmm. think about the heroin problem. Is it's, I don't know why it's kind of swept under the rug for the last I feel like the last six months or so mm-hmm. it's lost the limelight. It was mm-hmm. being talked about, and now it's not. Uh, and I don't know why, but. That scares the crap out of me mm-hmm. because it's everywhere now. It's soccer it really moms is. and dads. I mean, it's not heroin used to be rock stars and homeless people. Mm-hmm. And heroin is suburban, successful people now. It's and crazy. it's terrifying how it's everywhere. It's crazy. I'm I've been lucky. Like I've in my whole life I've never seen that kind of drug use. So even though my brother was a drug addict, I just was never exposed to it on a social level. So I can't imagine if I was, you know, what I would have done, but it just was not something I ever really had access. Even like, you know, even marijuana wasn't hugely prevalent when I was growing up. So me either. Me either. And I didn't get into it when I was yeah, young. The drug of choice was alcohol. <laughs> everyone's drug of choice is alcohol. Well, and again, like they teach kids about marijuana and they teach kids about all these other drugs and how it affects your brain, but they don't teach kids about alcohol. And I think that's it's absolutely crazy. Like, because yeah. alcohol is far more dangerous than mm-hmm. marijuana. Mm-hmm. Especially because of your judgment impairment. Right. <laughs> and, and also the judgment impairment that leads towards impulsive behavior, aggressive behavior, mm-hmm. where if you're if you smoke some marijuana, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to be impulsive or violent. Mm-hmm. You're just going to relax for a while. <laughs> right. So, and I know I'm, I'm being, I'm painting a picture, but the, it, I don't know why alcohol doesn't get more focus Yeah, it's, on at least helping people understand their relationship with it. Yeah. It's, it is really surprising. So I, I hope that, you know, you'll even look at groups like AA and different things like that. And it's just such a shame. It's, it's, you're shamed if somebody's an alcoholic and you go to AA or you go to Al-Anon or you're shamed. Like you don't want to tell it. It's like suicide. It's like if you try to commit suicide or, you know, somebody who's tried to commit suicide, you're shamed. Like yeah. if your kid tries to take their own life in school in high school and the kids find out that kid's done, they're the crazy kid. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just overall societies. um, you know, acceptance of these things is like, it's nobody's fault. It's not your fault. You shouldn't be judged for these things. No, I think part of the, and there is like the mass judging and shaming. And I think a lot of that is fueled by your own, the, those people's own internal shame of knowing what, what they're up to mm-hmm. or that they're that like, you know, it could be them. Mm-hmm. So it, shame on you. Cause I'll never do that. Mm-hmm. Which is just a defense mechanism mm-hmm. to, to keep themselves away from it. Or, or that they like, yeah, they do that because they're like, well, I would never do that. My kids would never do that. And the bottom line is, is it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how great of a parent you are. You have no control over what happens to your children. No. Really. You do on some level, but you know, they could be at a roller skating rink one night and you think you're there with them. They go in the bathroom and they drop some acid. Yeah, like if you it's just, gonna happen, it's gonna happen. Yeah, you can't control every little thing. And so- that's what's scary about that kind of stuff is that, you know, you have to do the best you can do, but you also have to be, you know, educated that to be aware of these things. 
For sure. And that's like, at least the stance I take is I try to proactively educate the kids, mm-hmm. not scare them. I, I mean, I've told my kids, you're probably going to, you know, try some drugs. You're mm-hmm. going to drink. You're definitely going to drink. Everybody drinks. And I just tell them about the pros and cons mm-hmm. and what, what, you know, what the reality is. Mm-hmm. And you guys, I tell them, you're going to make your own decisions. I'll drink beer with you as soon as mm-hmm. you're a little older, but you're going to have to make these decisions yourself. And I hope that when you do, you think about it a little bit and mm-hmm. you think about, you know, the, the good and the bad and how much you want to actually be involved mm-hmm. in that. And I just, there's nothing else I can do than try to get them to consider what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's, that's the only tool you have as a parent. Yeah. I mean, it's just explaining the abuse part of it. It's like, if you want to do anything in moderation, whatever that is, except for heroin, you can't do that in moderation. <laughs> no, but by definition, <laughs> you can't do that in moderation. Um, but you know, if you want to drink or you want to have smoke some marijuana, like everything in moderation is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, if you want to eat a hamburger in moderation, that's okay. You want to eat some fries. So I think just teaching that moderation part yeah, you're going to fail. You're going to maybe not drink in moderation or you're going to eat too many hamburgers one week, but that's okay Mm -hmm. because we do that. But just to always remain on the level of like everything in moderation. Isn't that what our parents told us? That's like a saying from the seventies for sure. They did. But I think the, (laughs) the parents that we had, it was a different generation. And there was like, you started, we started, I think when we went down this path, it was, there was way more autonomy parents didn't parent as much they were great parents and they were just doing what that generation did right but yeah you got told everything in moderation but you didn't get explained why or what that meant or what you know what it looked like (laughs) or how to deal with the situation with your friends if they're having something and you don't want to and how to cope with that how to Mm -hmm. deal with it maybe how to handle it you know it's um a a couple years ago for the first time ever me and a bunch of my friends and my wife did a sober october uh all following the joe rogan podcast we jumped on the bandwagon for Mm -hmm. sober october so for the first time in any of our adult lives we had a full month of complete and utter sobriety wow no alcohol most of us only drink but no alcohol no weed no no anything for a whole month and we added a diet component onto it and then like a physical Mm -hmm. challenge to make ourselves better to Mm -hmm. be outside of the comfort zone and doing it for the first time ever, I, I didn't go into it like I have a drinking problem. I need to not mm-hmm. drink. I went into it with a healthy relationship mm-hmm. with alcohol and I drank normal amounts with friends and I wasn't getting drunk mm-hmm. or anything. But man, uh, the, the way I describe it to people is by the end of the month, uh, you know, those Claritin ads where they peel away the layer and it's Claritin mm-hmm. clear. Mm-hmm. I felt that. Oh, wow. Like, it, yeah, it changed it absolutely changed my relationship with alcohol. It changed um, because it impacts social situations. Mm -hmm. It impacts you monitoring your own behavior Mm -hmm. and and just the way you, you interact interface with other people and Mm -hmm. environments. But, and I was saying that not to talk about me, but to talk about the, the, the shame side that you Mm -hmm. brought up because I didn't feel ashamed, Mm -hmm. but if I would go out with buddies and want to order a non-alcoholic drink, like a non-alcoholic mm-hmm. order an O'Doul's or mm-hmm. something, because I like the taste of beer. Mm-hmm. I don't need the alcohol. But that in itself creates a focus on you mm-hmm. and a focus on, well, why aren't you drinking, man? Yeah, We're all exactly. drinking. Everyone's drinking. Have a drink. Why, exactly. why don't you just drink? What's going on? And <laughs> that's so much more real than you know. It is. So if, if somebody was actually struggling with alcoholism, mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. It's mm-hmm. that, that that pressure is, is insanely mm-hmm. tough. And so even if I'll do it, I'll order uh, a non-alcoholic beer and I'll have it, but I'll tell the bartender to put it in a glass because that way nobody asks me. I just want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. If I don't feel like having a drink, I'm just going to have a fake drink, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I don't mm-hmm. want it to be the focus of our mm-hmm. conversation. Why don't we just have a conversation? You drink your beer. But it was really mind blowing how, how much people get like 
weirded out if, yeah. you're, if you're not, if you're not, gonna, if you're not taking part with Even them. Even when people tell you I don't drink, I'm kind of like, what? You don't drink? Right. What's wrong with weirdo. you? Weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> and it should be like, I'm the weirdo, not them. <laughs> yep. It's, it's crazy. What a difference that 30 days though. It, all of us had a, yeah. some hated it. Some people I'm hated sure it. <laughs> I loved it. I've done it five times since. Oh, wow. Five, five different months since. Wow. My wife too. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's such a great reset button that it changes, um, you know what? I've, the biggest thing I've noticed is the a that social stigma and that mm-hmm. is just that social weirdness around it. My friends have all adapted because out of the five months in the last two years, where all right, Adam must be doing it again. Mm-hmm. He's not ordering drinks, but um, there's that, and then there is the realization I had where I was more like a glass or two a day of wine or something like mm-hmm. that, and. I always, well, the doctors say that's healthy. This mm-hmm. is what everybody does. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's delicious. It's how you unwind after work. It's just, I mean, all that social fabric stuff is all very real, right? Mm-hmm. But what I noticed when I didn't do it was nothing mind-blowing, but just nothing I'd ever examined before mm-hmm. was, holy shit, like, so now I don't have a glass of wine or two, which means I don't have the snacks I didn't need or shouldn't mm-hmm. be eating because my judgment didn't go a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't impaired a little bit. I didn't stay up later watching TV. Mm-hmm. I, and then the next morning was that much better because I didn't stay up late and I didn't eat something before I went to bed mm-hmm. or, you know, and the cascading effect yeah. over 30 days of not doing those small marginal, just not great decisions, mm-hmm. nothing monumentally bad, but that changed everything yeah you must have felt amazing you feel like a different person you, you feel it's like, like a, a different person almost, it's, a, you know? it, it's incredible it's a cleanse yeah because your body goes through so a lot of changes but it's mm-hmm. a cleanse for your head because it resets well do i need to have that drink or do mm-hmm. i want to have that drink and it resets do i want to have that snack do i want to go to bed what do i want to do with mm-hmm. my morning what do i want to do with the time I feel like I have way more time when yeah, i when you i do make, it you you create a habit around it so you come home you sit down you have a drink like if you don't do that then what are you going to do you know? Right. Right. That's so, your social thing. Yeah. That's what you do with your time. And my wife and I would, would do that. You know, yeah, if you, if we somehow had a break on a Sunday afternoon, well, let's sit down and enjoy a glass of wine together and, and have some time. Mm-hmm. And that would be really nice. But then the rest of the day has a, a slant to it. Right. There's, there's a, even if you don't, I'm not saying you drink a bunch, but if you have a glass or two, you're just lazier you're tired, than you would have yeah. been. Yeah. It's your day changes. So now when we're doing those, like a, like a month off or one mm-hmm. of those times, we'll have a glass of kombucha or something. We'll still take the time, oh, sit together nice. and relax. But then when the time comes to an end, we're just in gear again, ready, yeah. ready to go. Right. Yeah. So or replace it with like, let's go for a walk or yeah, yeah. let's just like do something different, you know? So that's pretty amazing. I don't think I've ever not drank for a month. Since I had I never was like I had never. 14. <laughs> yep. I had never. It felt, you know, it was honestly, it was, I was nervous. Like you, I wouldn't have ever thought I would be if someone had said, could you, could you not drink for 30 days? Yeah, of course. But then when you're faced with the 30 days, you're like, hmm, what, what am I going to do? That, that, that's because, because it's part of you. It's part of your personality when you drink that often, when you drink, when you, when it's just part of your social fabric, mm-hmm. cause it's really a part of that social thing. And then eventually you learn about yourself that, okay, I don't, so I thought I, I thought that the couple of beers loosened everything up and everyone talks, well, mm-hmm. you don't need it. You can just talk, That's but w- once you just relax, anyway, it's nice. I've taken us way off on a tangent, oh, which is part fine. of what I like about yeah. the show, but, um, so m- next year, if you want to be in on Sober October, I'll, I'll bring you into the group. You can be part of the challenge. I might have to do that. You're not, not, on, the, you're not, not on the huge, hook though. I'm not like a huge beer drinker or like, I like to have a drink here and there, but 
most of my drinking is influenced by my boyfriend because he likes to drink. So I just drink with him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't have a problem or anything, but like, you know, he really likes the taste of beer. So he like really likes to go get a, it is delicious. He likes like old hen, speckled hen or something like he has these kinds of beers that he knows where to get them. And, and it's just such a treat when you're in, you know, in your life, when you work hard and, you're taking your kids and if that's something you really enjoy, it's like the person who just really, really likes some kind of food mm-hmm. and they, like cheese and mm-hmm. they go to a certain place to get cheese. It's kind of the same thing. But on the grand scale of things, it's really unhealthy. Like drinking beer is really fattening. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, and like, it's not so good for your organs. Yeah. So, you know, if I, pro- if I didn't do those things, I probably wouldn't drink as much, but also work. That's the other thing. You're going out with clients, you're mm-hmm. going out for lunch, you're doing all these things. And sometimes you drink and it's just like, you don't realize the effects on it, like you said. But yeah, Sober October, maybe I'm down with that next year. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's I like the name, that's Sober how, October. When we ran into each other at Hot Yoga the first time, uh-huh. that was Sober October. That was the challenge, was to take up Hot Yoga and we had to do a certain amount of classes for the month. Oh, is so that, that why that, you're that, so that cranky was why that I was day? There. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Come on. Uh, <laughs> Probably though. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And and I don't like. I know I sound like I'm uh, like shitting on alcohol or like uh, holier than thou. And it's it's weird to have these conversations because it's such a touchy subject that people pretend they're not touchy about. I'm not against it. I love wine and beer, yeah, and I the first person uh, I think it's that. delicious, and will continue to drink it. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not against it. I'm not. It's just a matter of realizing the relationship I mm-hmm. had with it. So that it's, I'm more of in the driver's seat now was, was a very, very different, yeah. a thing I didn't expect to notice. You know, I thought I'd have a, a month of losing weight and mm-hmm. I, I really didn't know what else, but, mm-hmm. but it turns out it was, it was pretty, pretty life altering really just cool. to have that clarity and clear moment. It was pretty cool. It's awesome. So forget about all that. Back to you. <laughs> no, that was awesome. <laughs> Let's talk um, about the Metro S Women's Network. Okay. When, when did that come to be? So, um, and what is it? We'll start yeah, it so is. basically it's an, a networking group for women that I started online and it was really meant for women to be in there, like referring each other business. So it's almost like a referral group. Um, so if you're looking for like a web designer or you're looking for a massage therapist, like we're all in there, like helping each other and referring each other. Um, so it's been really instrumental in a lot of women's lives. There's a 4,000 people now in that group. And even just the amount of like what it's 4,000. Yeah. 4, you ever 000. sit back and just look at that number and let it sink in? You started a group that's 4,000 people strong. Well, I mean, no, not really because Facebook groups can be really big, but the cool part about the group is that it's local and it has 4,000 people. What I really love about the group is that these women have like, will go on there and they will say like, my business is because of this. I've basically created a community for women to grow their businesses because they don't have their own communities. So, um, and the funny part is it's not even a community where I would grow my business because my business isn't really a small business like most of the people on there. But for me, mm-hmm. I just love meeting people. I love doing the events. I love hosting the events. I just love meeting people. I love inspiring people. So for me, it's been really, really fun. Um, And, you know, I've met some really great people through it. And when I got divorced, you know, that was something that I wanted to do was like make some new friends and, you know, meet some women that were also in, you know, business and different Mm. stuff like that. And I now minded women. Yeah. And so I now had the time to do that. But, you know, creating this community, I've seen so many other women explode because of it. Like people who've even started like their own networking groups, like they have a forum now. And even when they start their own Facebook groups, like they don't get the traction that this group 
gets. So, you know, it's just really wonderful to see that. So we do like an event every month. Um, every month. Yep. Nice. Mm -hmm. Tell yeah. What are the events like? Um, so we do this like signature event quite often, like once every three months, it's a wine and networking mm -hmm. night. Um, and that is always like a really great, um, event. And the thing about the events is like, I have this whole thing about like not selling like these events and this group is just to meet and connect and refer like no selling, mm -hmm. you know, cause I hate that. And I, I hate that about sales. I'm actually going to be starting my own podcast someday about sales because I, hate, I'll help you. I hate sales. Um, but anyways, um, I also hate sales <laughs> and I'll help you with the podcast. Yes, I think I've, you'd be great at it. I've reimagined the whole sales thing, but whatever. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, so the group is, and then we do like some really cool events. Like we do a sweat working event, which is like networking, but it's sweat working. So we do yoga or we do some kind of exercise class. We're doing a digital vision board um, class on Friday night in Acton. So we like move the events around too. So there are different areas of central Massachusetts and mm -hmm. Metro West Boston. So they're more accessible to everybody. Um, and so we're just kind of like doing these events that are kind of like fun and other people don't really want, you know, nobody would really think of them like, and now I see like more people doing wine nights and like we've been doing these wine nights for like almost four years. So, um, so it's just really cool. And, and I really enjoy the events and they're easy. Like I, I, I've managed them so that they're easy. They're easy to run. They're easy to sell tickets to. It's all about like simplifying it to make it easy. How many people come to the events? Anywhere from like, like the sweat working ones. Yeah. Well, the sweat working, I think the last one we had 50. So we had a big yoga it's class. A big turnout. Yeah, a big yoga class at an office in Hudson, and they have like a huge space. So we had these all these women doing yoga. Like it was way bigger than a yo normal yoga. Yeah, class. fifty people is huge. And then we did a manifestation. So when you get that many people together and you're doing like a meditation manifestation, it's really powerful. So I loved it. I thought it was really great. Um, and so you know, at a wine networking night, we might get anywhere from twenty to eighty. Sometimes it's 20, sometimes it's 80. It just depends. So, and it, it doesn't matter how many people show up. It's still always great. Yeah, that's like really we, cool. We did a Christmas one. I think we only had 25 people. And sometimes we have vendors come to sell their stuff. And these vendors were like, this is the most we ever sold. Like, and we had one the Christmas before and they hardly sold anything. And there was 90 people there. So you just never know. You know, for me, it's just always about having fun. So. That's cool. And it gives you, it gives you something outside of work to, exactly. to have support and to have a group of like-minded people and to bounce ideas for work off mm -hmm. of, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. That's one of the, my favorite things is to grab friends and in other industries and just talk about it as if they were working with me, just yeah. go into what I'm thinking or what, what my ideas are and bounce it off people that aren't related to it or aren't connected to it and yeah. hear what they have to say. Yeah. And I really like helping them. Like, so you know, I meet with everybody. Like if somebody just emails me and they're like, Hey, do you want to meet for coffee? I say, yes. Like, it's not like, Oh, you're not a business contact or like whatever. I always meet with people. And something that I've really done through the network is be able to like refer people work and connect people. And I think like building those relationships with people has been like really instrumental in my business. So those people might not be my customers. They might not be anything, but they're my fans. Mm -hmm. They share my stuff. They will do me a favor if I need one. Like, so just building that with people that you're a nice person and you're there to help people. I think that overall helps with my business. Of course it does. It helps with life. And yeah. I think that's what people miss a lot of people, sales people specifically, or small business owners, mm -hmm. at least new small business owners, everyone goes to networking events, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone treats networking events for the most part as what can you do for me? Who are exactly. you and what can you do for me? 
And that's why I don't go to them. Like they, they're just, <laughs> it drives me nuts to have someone walk over, look up my name tag. It says, so what do you do? I know. I leave. That's what I do. Goodbye. I, I hate come talking here. about what I do. That's the other thing. It's like when people come up to me, like people in the women's network are like, oh, I didn't know you owned a digital agency. Like nobody even knows that about me because I don't talk about it. Yeah, I'm the same that's way. Not and my really... friends tell me I'm done. They're like, we want to hear about it. Like you're our friend. I'm like, I just don't want to. I, I, it's, I spend all day with it. I don't need to yeah. hang out, talk about it now. Yeah. And I just feel like the business manifests itself when you do that. You know, a lot of the positioning that we've done with our company, like trying to get into those bigger projects and different stuff like that has all been, well, the agency and industry anyways, what people don't realize it's all relationship based. Like it's who, you know, how you get the RFPs and, you know, so when you get invited to those things, that's because people know you, they like you, they trust you. And so you know, even though it might not be directly linked to the women's network, I've learned a lot about relationships and how those really fit into your business. And I think like when Mark and I first joined and, you know, that was always my philosophy was like, be nice, do free things for people. Like he'd be like, you know, and he, not in his discredit or anything, but he's like, people are taking advantage of you like sometimes. And mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I, I like doing these things. So then like a year later, you know, when he said I was going to all these networking things and how much time I was spending on it. I don't know if he valued it as much in the beginning. Um, but a year later, he's like, you know, all those seeds you planted last year, all those things you did. And, you know, he did always let me do them like he did was always on board. But he's like, I didn't realize how much those would affect our business. Yeah. Like we are now seeing the results of things you did a year ago, People like a seed you planted. You know, and that's the whole patience thing is that things don't happen overnight. People try to chase leads instead mm -hmm. of exactly what you're saying is mm -hmm. meeting and knowing people. People work in jobs. Jobs happen in companies. And eventually, if you just have an authentic relationship with a lot of people, it circles back to your private mm -hmm. life and your professional life. And mm -hmm. that, that to me, that's how you build a network. If you're going to these events and you're a shark swimming through the waters mm -hmm. just looking for what can you do for me now... I mean, I don't want to talk to that person. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to have a relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to speak with them right now. They're going to introduce themselves. And, no, thank you. And like I'm the people walk, I I'm delete on away. LinkedIn. Right. Like they message me and they're like, if you're trying to sell me something, delete. Right. Like I, I don't need anything right now. Like right. I'm just sitting here in LinkedIn land and I don't need anything. Right. And your magic so, message is not going to create the demand from me. I don't, right, I, I'm right. not interested. Exactly. If I need something, then that's different. I'll put it out there that I need something or I'll ask for a referral or I'll do whatever. But I just hate being sold to it's, and even like sometimes people will friend me on Facebook and they'll send me like, you know, are you happy with your health? Like, you know what? Leave me alone. Right. Like, just let me be in Facebook land and not sell me anything. I'm deleting you as a friend because you suck. Right. You're a parasite. <laughs> You're a parasite. And I know and they're I don't just trying, and they're just trying to sell, and maybe that's what they're learning in their business, but that's not what you do. I mean, maybe you can get some clients that way, but do you really want to pester people to be your client? Like right. you're going to pester me and pester me until I sign up for like your free toothpaste or your extended eyelash wear or your fake nails, like whatever it is. <laughs> like that's something you sell to people, you know, like, and if people know you sell it, they'll come to you if they like you. So right. if I need some new nails, which obviously um, I'm not into my nails, but I'll come to you if I need it yeah. or I'll ask. <laughs> we have the same nails. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. What, um, what time is it? I know you have to go and I don't want to keep you beyond our time. 1036. Oh, good. So we yeah, can still, good. we can still yeah. keep going for a little bit. Yeah. So um, back to, so we went from 
working at the place in Portland to Ladybugs, which was like kind of a lifestyle agency, which enabled you to start raising the family and mm -hmm. have that flexibility to joining forces with Mark and forming the women's network. And mm -hmm. now it's a, it's a very different beast than what it originally was. Mm -hmm. What, how does that impact your, your life now? Versus the lifestyle thing where you still have four kids, you still have a personal life to manage, mm -hmm. but now you've got staff and you've got a partner or two partners now. Um, plus the, it's got to take up some time to run the network with 4,000 people and an active membership showing up to events. So how does all of that impact your life? And there's, it's a long answer I know, and there's many answers, but mm -hmm. you know, what's the good, the bad, the ugly, what do you design around to make things your way? What do you feel takes over sometimes, sometimes mm -hmm. it needs to be managed. Well, how does it impact, how does owning a business impact your life versus working way back at, like if you picture yourself still in a cubicle working for somebody else? Ugh. Like when I used to fall asleep on my desk mm -hmm. at noon. Um, so I think, I mean, it's definitely easier now. When I had ladybugs, it was like amazing. I went to hot yoga every day. Like I, I didn't have to worry about really a lot. My business was running really, really well. And I really only required me to work like four hours a day. Honestly, I just had it going. And honestly, when I did Bikram yoga every day, I was just super productive. So when I first joined with, um, three media web, we were really busy. So we were definitely like, I lost that side of things a little bit and having more time. And then the second year we were together again, it was like really, really busy. So I think after that, we just decided like, we need to, we need to start doing things that were not busy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, so the first thing we did was we started, um, forcing each other to take vacation. So mm -hmm. I would feel bad taking vacation because Mark would never take vacation. So we like kind of instilled this forced vacation policy. And I think that created holding each other accountable for having a life. Yeah. So we gave our employees and ourselves a week off, um, one at Christmas and one July 4th week. And we still do that because we said the only way we're not working is if the company shut down. Mm -hmm. So then after we started doing that, then Mark was like, okay, well now, you know, we're still, we need to get out of the business. And we've been doing, like I said, the Gino Wickman, um, books and helping that using that EOS system lightly to kind of like grow our business. And Mark's like, okay, now we need to kick somebody else out of the business. <laughs> like somebody not needs to not be involved in operations. And that person was me. He's like, you know, you're doing what you're doing. We don't need you doing projects. We don't need you doing anything. We need you to continue to do what you've been doing, which is planting seeds, like growing our business, being strategic, coming up with ideas that we're probably going to shut down most of the time. But, you know, um, so, so he gave me that door to open, you know, and to go pursue whatever it is that I thought would help grow our business. And he honestly, I give him a lot of credit because he trusted me to do mm -hmm. that. Like he has no idea what I do every day. All he knows is that, you know, we are where we are and he knows it's because a lot of it's because of what I'm out there doing. Right. I have to trust that he's doing a great job running the business. So as long as I trust that that's happening on a 100% awesome level, I can, continue to think about how we're going to grow it. Mm -hmm. So, and so far so good. Yeah, so far so good. So like one thing I've focused on is positioning and I've been focusing on positioning for like a couple of years and you know, positioning takes a long time. It takes a long time from going from doing 20 or $30,000 websites to winning hundred thousand, two hundred thousand $200,000 websites, even getting the RFPs for those mm -hmm. websites is a challenge. Um, so that's been something I've, I've worked on and I think that's how you know, right now that's where we are, where I kind of just 
continue to build strategy around the business. I bring it to my partners, you know, they come to me when they need to do things like if they need to hire, they need to, you know, look at operations together, you know, I'll come in and look at stuff. But typically, it's kind of weird that we're not working together, you know, on a lot of stuff, but it's just the way it is. I mean, eventually it would be nice to get Mark more out of the business, Mm -hmm. but we need him in operations right now while we're growing because that is his strength and that is what we've built the company on. So, um, so yeah, so they kick me out and I get to do whatever I want. That's awesome. And what what about (laughs) your boyfriend and your kids? How does the business, are you being a business owner influence or impact their lives? So I've definitely like changed a lot of stuff in my life because I was, was even still working really, really hard like up until this year. And I made the decision that, you know, I wasn't going to use my evenings anymore for work because, Mm -hmm. you know, I was working a regular 40 hour week, but then on top of that, I was doing events like every other night going to networking events and doing the women's network stuff. So I committed to not doing those anymore. And again, I got a little more kicked out of the business because we hired a sales director. So even though I was bringing in a lot of leads and customers and relationships, I was still managing, closing them, you know, getting them through the pipeline. So having a sales director now has definitely taken that off my plate. So now I get a lead and I just, I wouldn't even call them leads. They're really almost closed deals. Like they're really like pretty far down the pipeline by the time I bring them in, but just not worrying about that anymore. So I've, I have more time. So I taking that time to do more of like this, what I'm doing right now, like Mm -hmm. doing podcasts, meeting people, going to networking events and making that part of an integral part of my day and trying to get better at managing the stuff I have to manage because I still manage like all of our brand. So that can be challenging because I don't have a team to help me do that. So Um, you're still kind of leading some of the creative efforts to make three media web who it is to the public. Yeah. It's all integrated like with the positioning and, you know, brand and stuff like that. So that type of stuff, I, what I do is I time block. So I've worked with a coach to help me with my time. So I time block, Um, and then with my boyfriend, you know, in my personal life, that is definitely where I struggle on a regular basis because we both have our own children. We both have our own lives. Um, and I would say that's probably been the most challenging part of my life is trying to have somewhat of a normal personal life. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. I mean, and I think that's like we, I think like an hour ago, we were talking about this, regardless of whether you own a business or not, it's hard Mm -hmm. to have a personal life Mm -hmm. in today's day with the expectations put on people to provide. It's Mm -hmm. hard. So you have to, you have to cut your own way and Mm -hmm. figure out how you're going to do that. So yeah, it's, I think it's, it's always hard. I don't have friends that makes you feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Like my friends. So, um, another business owner once told me like, you can only really have like three things in your life when you're a business owner, like your family, your business. And like one other thing, I forget what the other thing was, but it was like friends was the one thing I couldn't fit in my life. So, you know, I was like, well, if you can't have friends, how do you do it? And he said, well, my business people are my friends. So I treat those relationships like they're friendships and family. And so that's definitely something that I do. Like when I go to work every day and I have lunch with somebody, I really embrace that like that. This is a friendship. This Mm -hmm. isn't just a work lunch. Like this is my friend. And so I feel like I don't have the need to fill that like friend thing. Like, Ooh, I need to go with the girls. And I don't, I do sometimes like, but for the most part, I don't really need that. Do you miss it? Did you have like a group of friends that you, that you, no longer see yeah, or you just absolutely. don't see them as Especially often. when I was married because I had more time and I had somebody to watch my kids at night and stuff like that. So I definitely did. But, you know, divorce is a really traumatic thing and how it pans out when it's done is not always, you know, you think I'm not saying any of my friends deserted me or anything like that, but, um, 
it definitely, my life has changed a lot since then. And even my friends that I knew for like 15 and, you know, years or so, some of them got divorced and their lives changed. And some of my friends moved away and it's really hard to form those friendships all over again. Like you just, you can really never get those friendships back. So no, definitely not the same. Yeah. So my friends are still my childhood friends and they live all over Canada and the U S. So what I try to do is maybe like go visit one of them like once or twice a year or meet up with them somewhere or my sisters, you know, cause they're my family. Well, they're friends too. They're yeah. built in friends. Yeah. So that's what I try to do. I don't try to build it into my regular, like right now, my friends are my daughters. Like I go to what choose it with my daughter on Tuesdays and Thursdays during the work week. And it's such a joy being in the car with her, talking to her, listening to her, what goes on in her life, looking how cute she is in her little speed suit and her little van sneakers carrying like these skis that weigh like 50 pounds all around the mountain. Like that's my joy right now. And that's, you know, the difference between maybe having sons and daughters because daughters seem more like they're like your peer, like your friend as a mom. I loved hanging out with my boys too, but they wouldn't like sit there and jabber to me and tell me about their life. Like, you know, they were just my boys and they broke things. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely we, break things. Mine and we break had fun together, you know, but, um, but my daughters are like, and then my other daughter, she'll come with me. We'll ski together. Like my boys would never ski with me. They would just like blow me off in the behind them and be like, see a mom, you know? So, um, they definitely have different roles. So I'm enjoying that. And the other thing is maybe I didn't embrace that as much with the boys. Cause I had two little girls too. So I can never really focus on them as much. So were the you boys know, older? Yeah. So the 20 and the 18 are both boys? Yeah. Okay, yeah. But now the boys are self-sufficient. I don't worry about them. You know, they still love me and they call me and they'll come visit when, you know, my son came home for Christmas. But the coolest thing was my older son that's in the Marines, he came home and he, he said, I don't know what to get the girls. So he called me at work one day and he's like, mom, can you come home and see what I got the girls for Christmas? So I come home and he has a bearded dragon. <laughs> like nice. of all the things he could buy the girls for Christmas, he buys them a bearded dragon. But like that just said something to me about like how I raised him because we always had pets and we always valued those things. They, 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 he didn't buy them anything materialistic. He didn't buy them like you know, a pair of vans, like he wanted to buy them an experience, you know, rather than a thing. And I just felt like that was really special because it said a lot about how he valued experience. Yeah. That's really cool. You know, that and unique. Yeah. And that I, I feel like in a way I gave him good experiences in his life and that's what I gave him. I never really bought him tons of stuff or I was always that mom that was like taking you places like, you know, the other moms wouldn't want to go like, or whatever, like take you to the skate park and hang out with your friends. And mm-hmm. I was always like there, like I wouldn't drop them off or whatever. So I feel like I gave them that experience and I, you know, and with him being gone, the lizard is like, or the dragon, whatever you want to call it, it's there every day and they get to play with it. And it's like an extension of him. So I For just sure. thought that was really special. I hate the thing, but <laughs> that, that is a really cool, really cool <laughs> gift. And I can see where, especially where he's gone. That's like a, a way to think of him every yeah, day. That's, yeah, really, that's really cool. And for a guy that age, you know, the fact that he even thinks about that stuff is like, wow. It is. You know. And the girls are probably too young to even gauge it a little, but do you think, is there any legacy aspect to your business? Do you think either of the boys are going to have any no. interest in it? Or Yeah, no. I don't think mine no. are either. My son asked me if he could intern this summer, and I said no. 
<laughs> because I, first of all, like I'm not babysitting, I'm not baby. Like I already know he doesn't clean his room. I already know I have to ask him 50 times to do something. If I have to do that in your personal life, I'm not going to do that in your business life. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he's interested in owning his own business, my younger son, but I'm, I'm like, you go find your own job. You go find your own thing. Like you don't even like what I do. So I'm not just going to give you a job mm-hmm. to intern. So, um, and then my other son that's in the Marines, I have no idea what he'll do. How does he like um, the Marines? Um, he likes it. I mean, I, I don't think he loves it. How long has he been in? Um, like two years now, two, two and a half. So he's going to go to college. I think he wants to go to film school and do something related to film. He's like a big gamer and he likes to film games and he has like a big, what's the account where you Twitch? He's big on Twitch, <laughs> like where he, he videos himself playing video games with the commentary. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah There's yeah, a lot of YouTubers making quite a living <laughs> showing themselves play video games. <laughs> I've I, seen his TikTok channel. I don't know how much promise there is in that. <laughs> I really feel like a, like a, like a parent, like I'm old when my kids are watching YouTubers and I'm like, it's why would you watch this? I just, it's, I'm clearly, I'm just too old to get it. Cause it's mm-hmm. just some loud kid playing a game and, and yelling and being way over the top. Mm-hmm. Like there's no way he's that excited mm-hmm. all day, every day, unless he's either on a lot of drugs or, uh, he, well, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's either that, or he's just built this persona, which I don't take away from that kid at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, a lot of them are making a great living and mm-hmm. I think it's, they figured out a niche, but why would you watch it? I don't like, why would you just that you own either. that game? Yeah. If we're giving you your time on the TV, why would you watch that guy play it? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you, you just play, play it? it? I don't, well, I, I guess don't it's a it. difference between two. Like if let's say you're a skier, like, so you like to watch skiing. You're not skiing. I've seen, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've never liked watching any of the stuff yeah. that I do. That's maybe that's. Well, your kid probably wonders like why you like listening to podcasts about businesses. I do that a lot. <laughs> I listen to a lot of podcasts. They know that. They, uh, it's cause that's always what's on in the car when they get in. They're like, my, my 10 year old's like, uh, <laughs> a podcast will start. He'll be like, blah, blah, politics, blah, blah. Can we not talk about grown up stuff? <laughs> I know I have, I, I'm a big follower of Joe, um, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who's like a meditation guy and so I have his books on all the time in the car because I kind of they're really long so I'll like listen to bits and pieces of them and my kids will be like can you shut the meditation book off mom I know it's going to make me clear I know it's going to make my brain better I know I can reinvent myself if I mom we know all this (laughs) we get it we get it we don't want to (laughs) I I've even tried to get my kids um I know they're not going to be interested in it, but try to get my kids to do like small moments of meditation and try Mm -hmm. to get them to, without calling it meditation Mm -hmm. or anything, just to get used to like brain, I call it like brain exercises. Mm -hmm. You know, they're always, my kids are crazy and they're into sports and like my eight year old's always doing pull-ups and like showing how strong he is. And that's great. And I try to explain it's the same thing for your brain, Mm -hmm. you know, but they just, they're not, they're not getting on board. Yeah, no. It is not. They I have, have it at school but they're now. Not, they're not they, getting on board. They have it on Wednesday mornings at my daughter's school. They have um, mindfulness, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. But I feel like for kids, you need to make it a little bit more interesting. So I feel like guided meditation like would be great for kids, but it has to be like more geared to what they think about. Like, yeah. So like I went to a meditation the other day, which I'm an advanced meditation person. So it's easy for me to go into any meditation class and just meditate. Like if I don't like it, it doesn't matter because I just know how to meditate. 
but I brought like two newbies with me. And so it was a visualization meditation and visualization is very hard. It like is. it is. And that's, you know, and I didn't feel like they had enough, um, instruction before that. So, um, they went to the meditation and they were just like, I, you know, wasn't for them, but they weren't advanced enough to do that meditation. I even found it difficult. So I think, you know, if you had a meditation for kids, it should be like, imagine a dinosaur breathing. Like, you know, I think they need to make the dialogue something that kids can relate to. Yeah. So, um, that same woman told me she did one with clouds where she's like, imagine a cloud and the cloud is cause you know, when in guided meditation, they have you imagine like, let's say a shape or a word or something. And they're always like, kind of like, moving that around in your brain so that it's changing shape or changing size or changing color. So if you can do that with something that kids can relate to, then you might be able to capture their attention. So she said she had this group of like, you know, 12 year old boys and she did this cloud meditation and they were like, yeah, I was on the cloud and the cloud was floating me. And like, so they, that actually attracted them, Yeah, that's you know? Cool. So I thought that was really interesting when she told me that. That is, and yeah, I, I tried, there's an app I tried having my kids use. It does like children specific oh, guided meditation go. and it, it, they get bored, you know, and I get it. Like I didn't take up meditation mm -hmm. until much, much later. I don't think I would have been meditating at 10 years old. Uh, no. It might be valuable, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. Not it's like happen. investing. Like imagine if you started investing when you were 10 years old. Would have been awesome. We'd be million. We wouldn't yeah. even be, be here be right great. now. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably still be doing the podcast because <laughs> that's for fun. But yeah, it's uh, things would be very different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not the way it goes. Not the way it went at least. What um, I ask everybody this. Now that you've been running a business for a while, is there anything that stands out as a naha, like a, I didn't see that coming or something you didn't expect about owning a business? I guess I never really thought about not being in my own business. So when you hear a lot of um, business entrepreneur growth um, experts talk about this, about getting out of your own business, like you have to grow your business, you have to get out of it unless you want it to be where you're involved in it. But if you want to grow and scale a business, you can't be involved in it. And I think the bit, the hardest part for me, you know, with merging with three media web was getting kicked out of the business. Cause I always call it kicked out. Marks. So I was like, you make it sound so bad. We did it to help you and to help the business. Cause you, cause I'm the only person in our business that's an extrovert. So, and I'm also the only communications expert. I mean, the fact, you know, the, the amount of writing and PR and all that kind of stuff I get for our agency it kind of puts us at an advantage because other agencies are not investing in their own businesses the same way they are. It's like, well, I'm going to do this for my clients. Like we grow businesses for a living. That's what we do. Yeah. So we need to do it for ourselves right. first. Be you visible. Know? Yeah. So that was, and, and so I felt, and every time too, in a small business and when you're not the CEO, cause I went from being the CEO of my own company to not being the CEO of another company, is that um, you kind of get a little bit offended every time you have to move around the company. So, you know, I was the creative director on like a lot of our web projects. And then when we just stop, stop doing small web projects and I didn't have to be the creative director anymore, I was kind of like, okay, well that's taken away from me. Like now I'm not the creative director anymore. Who am I? Yeah. Like who am I? But I've actually become an expert at being a chameleon. So having to move wherever the company meet needed me, it was a huge shift in a mindset that, you know, 
not to feel rejected is actually a growth thing. It's like every time I go in and I start something, we basically hire someone to take it over. So it's like, wow, like I'm creating more things as I keep going along and I keep moving my way through the company. So not getting offended and getting upset by that growth and having to be the person that moves around because I can. I mean, right. I think that's great that I, I could, even today, if they said you need to do this job, I could jump into the company and do it. Mm -hmm. I'm trained on everything except development. I would, you know, not do that. Well, I hate project management too, because we have a checklist and I hate those. So, um, you know, but I can, I could come in, I could help with accounting, I could help with like whatever, because I've done it all mm -hmm. already. Right. You've worn the hat. Yeah. But you know, my business partner, Mark, he's like, you know, we don't need you to be in the business because we can hire people. I can't hire anyone to do what you're doing now. Like I couldn't hire anybody to do that because you love this business. You are the best person to talk about it. You know it inside and out. You can talk, you do, you're not in operations now, but you know everything about our operations. You know how we scaled it, you know? So, you know, I- So they set you free, but you yeah. had to learn how to see that. Yeah, yeah. And not take it as, an, you know, like they don't want me around anymore. Right. You know, and the other thing is, is because- you know, you have a couple people managing things like too many fingers in the pie is not good. No, either. no, it's not. It's not good for anybody. Yeah. And, you know, they've unleashed me now and I don't know if they regret it or not because I am a beast now. And, you know, like the just this week alone, it's just like I'm just always shaking my head. Like, I don't know how I end up here like every week with some other big thing in my hand. Like one thing we did this year was we created a relationship with a huge agency out of Boston. And, you know, we've had, we're involved in two major RFPs with them. And the first one was like, they didn't, they knew they might not win, but just the fact that we would have such a large agency come to us, involve us, put us there as their partner. To me, that's five years of work that happened like overnight mm -hmm. in like in a year, like basically I've been kind of building us up to this point, but those major accomplishments that you see when you put that hard work in, is worth every penny. Yeah, it's that's cool. where we want it to be. It is. And you know what? Uh, random, uh, unrelated, but you made me think of, because I have you here and I'm talking to you as opposed to someone else. You know what I like about our industry? Because mostly I'm not talking to other, other marketing people. Right, I'm talking right, to other people that own right, I know. different kinds of companies. Um, what I love about it is I'm, I am so quick to be bored with things. I'm so, I'm not the guy that's ever had one passion mm -hmm. and it's, it's driven my entire life. You know, mm -hmm. I, I envy those people, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not wired that way. What I, what I love about what we do is how it's always different. It is. It's always different. Like, and it's always connected to things through our clients. Like mm -hmm. this, this last couple of weeks, we have a client in the um, military and first responder space. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they make is a product that's really well suited to contaminated patients and treating them and moving them throughout different places to get treatment without mm -hmm. contaminating others with the coronavirus happening. This whole thing has come to life yeah. in, in, you know, creating uh, and, and advising the client on mm -hmm. how, how we do this. And of course it's a sensitive thing and mm -hmm. we don't want to, we don't want to just be capitalizing on it, but we want to raise awareness on how we can help mm -hmm. and how to contain the, the timing the, is the, really, really great. For and you. It, but the timing is important too. Like they were already a client, mm -hmm. but now this is on fire. This mm -hmm. isn't something that they were focused on two weeks mm -hmm. ago or three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Right. So other than this, 
I would just have no visibility to that whole thing. Mm -hmm. But now I'm directly connected to right. something that can help. And that- You like jumping in. I do. I love mm -hmm. jumping in. I love jumping in, get the lay of the mm -hmm. land, see how I can help, add my help, and then I'll back out yeah, and go jump exactly. into something else. That's and awesome. It just suits me. It's, yeah. so, it's so well suited to my personality. And I know your personality is really in line with, with mine. Yeah, I so. know, definitely. And definitely like with the business strategy and growth, like that's really where I shine because I'll come to the table and be like, I want to do this. I think, you know, two years ago or a year ago, I might've got like, mm, let's put that on the Trello board for next year. Like now I get, okay, let's, how do we get there? Like, and that's because you, you can, know, right? Because they kicked you out of all the other stuff. It's not so just now, that. Now you I can. Think, I think it is, it's that, it's that part of it, but it's also that everything I've done up to this point related to this role has been exponentially, you know, grown our company. And so just getting off that whole like mindset of we have to do things a certain way. And like now I'm allowed to not do things a certain way and how that's benefiting us. We can't not do things a certain way within the company. Like we can't not design websites the way we do them, but we can play with our business strategy and we can figure out how we want to grow and where we want to go and how we do it. Mm -hmm. And who and, we want to grow with. And who we want to grow with. So, you know, and like I said, I come up with a lot of ideas, but you know, when we have one that everybody likes, everybody's on board and I love that. And in a way that makes my job a little easier because sometimes people do want to get involved in the project. Like, so we did a sales empowerment conference last year for women and we just like wanted to try it out. It kind of was like in line with my women's mission and most of our clients, believe it or not, are women. So I wanted to give my clients something valuable that they could use. And sales is such a part of like marketing and the whole buyer's journey that I kind of wanted to give them a boot camp day where they could learn how to sell more, basically, you know, tied into their marketing, tied into their after sales. So we did this whole conference. So at the time we got this new sales director and she, after the conference, she was like, I loved that conference, you know? And I was kind of like, oh yeah, that was great. And I wasn't really thinking like, maybe I do it again. Maybe I wouldn't like, I, you know, she's like, no, we're doing that again. And we're taking it to Boston and I'm going to have you introduce you to some people that I think could help. So now this year we're doing the conference in Boston in October. We have an awesome partner. We're having it at Laugh Boston. Um, and they're partnering with, awesome. yeah, they have an innovation arm of their business where they do sales training. And so it was like a perfect fit. And the minute I walked in there, so the one thing that I felt about the conference that we did was that I felt like the women that we had were amazing, but they didn't have a stage because of the location where we had it. It was a great location. Don't get me wrong, but it just didn't have that stage. Like, you know, where they're up there. And so when I walked into Laugh Boston and I saw the stage and I had looked at other spaces all around Boston. I walked into Last Laugh Boston and I'm like, this is like TED Talk material stage nice. thing, you know? So, um, so it's out there in the universe now. I haven't announced it yet, but yeah. So that was just something that, you know, I did it once and kind of like when you do it once, you're like, okay, that was, that was done. That's done. Like, let's check it out. She's like, no, next year it's bigger. It's better. It's in Boston. You know, one of the, one of the speakers, her company is going to sponsor it and they're going to help us with a party before. It's like, okay, I wasn't really planning on that, but I guess you it's can cool help me. cool to see, though, when something you, something you did inspires someone that much someone to else, take it to the yeah. next level. Well, she's the a sales director, so she's th she values that. Like She's like, I've worked in marketing, I've worked in sales, this is what our customers need, this is what we need to bring them as value. Well, so many people, so many people, almost all companies that I come across have this real disconnect with sales and marketing, mm -hmm. even though they'll slap a title of 
sales and marketing director mm-hmm. or VP of sales and marketing on a person who is almost always a salesperson mm-hmm. and doesn't know anything about marketing mm-hmm. and people, the disciplines should be tied together, mm-hmm. but, but they're always completely siloed and they mm-hmm. and they don't work together. And it's a, it's another whole podcast episode, mm-hmm. but it's, well, it's, I'll have it's you like on my po- podcast. All right. Perfect. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a poison to the company to have those two separated because they should be married. They should, they need yep. to be happily married because they, they feed each other and they work together, mm-hmm. but people don't understand how. Yeah, people talk about alignment, but they don't talk about, I think when they talk about alignment, they talk about it in terms of like technology. They're not talking about it in terms of everybody being in alignment, like with the goals, with the mission. It's like I said earlier, like culture is the driver of everything. Right. And so, you know, if the salespeople don't realize that, and if you see the other thing is, is like just even not thinking about sales. It's not sales. Like it's not sales really anymore. People are relationships. Buying, yeah. It's all relationships. And marketing can begin and foster yep. those relationships. Mm-hmm. It all has to work together and be tied together. But to your point, I've even seen it where the company uh, learns about it and they get into bringing it into the culture, but it doesn't become the culture. Mm-hmm. So you've got, okay, we have these workshops, we have conferences, everybody learns about marketing mm-hmm. and they're going to, they're going to put together sales and marketing. And within a month sales is back to now, now, now. Mm-hmm. And they're, and they're ignoring marketing completely mm-hmm. or, and I'm not vilifying sales or marketing mm-hmm. is not doing what they need to back mm-hmm. a salesperson and giving them the tools they need for when they're doing their mm-hmm. outreach. And it just becomes two divisions again. And right. it's, it's a nightmare. Now, what time is it? It's probably close to 11. Yeah, because we have a real habit on the show of going yeah, way past deadlines okay. and we just keep talking. We have to say goodbye. Yeah. Is it time? Yep. All right. On that note, let's say goodbye.